All right, well, tonight we are going to be in Psalm 51, book of Psalms, chapter 51. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, oh Lord, we want to say thank you for the amazing privilege that it is to know you, to be able to have a relationship with you, to be able to cry out to you in prayer and to know that you hear our prayers. And Father, you do more than just hear our prayers from a distance. Lord, you've been, you've been eagerly awaiting to hear from your children. Father, you love it when you, we come into your presence. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so, Father, tonight we draw near to you. We want to hear from you, Father God. We do not want to hear the words of a man. We do not want to hear any musings of a man. But, Father, we want to hear directly from your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would take me out of the way. And, Father, that by your Spirit, that you would give every single heart here a softness and a receptiveness to you. Father, that you would give us ears to hear your voice speaking to us. And we look forward to what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do a little bit of... uh, a, a, a Bible warm-up here. Uh, f- finish this line of names for me. Peter, James, and... Awesome. Cool. Uh, 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 Samson and... Okay, thank you. David and... Thank you. <laughs> David is up in heaven saying, Thank you. Thank you that you remember me for slaying Goliath and not for that other person who you might have thought of when you heard my name. Uh, Because there are two very dramatic scenes, probably the two most dramatic scenes that we get in David's life. When he was a young man and he slew Goliath, it was like, whoa, that was awesome. You know, top of the list, right? I mean, right there, that was God working through someone who was just totally open. And the other scene is on the other end of the spectrum because it's when David fell into sin with Bathsheba. And tonight, we're going to take a look at that. (laughs) And you think, woo, goody. Uh, But uh, in Psalm 51 it gives us a little bit of a preamble for the psalm. And it says this, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So let me take you back and paint the picture a little bit. It was springtime. It was the time when the kings would go out to war. And David, he was at the top of his game. Everything was going awesome for him at this point uh, in, in being king. And he decided he wasn't going to go out with the armies. Uh, Amnon, Amnon, Amnon had kind of picked a fight uh, with them. And so uh, David sent Joab and the armies out to fight against them. But he stayed at home. And it was a mistake because idle hands are still the devil's playground. And there was David, and he was up on his rooftop of the palace, and he was looking around. And being bored, he looked down, and there on another rooftop not too far away, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And it was Bathsheba. And so 
he went to the people, and he went to his, his uh, servants, and he said, who's that? And they said, that's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, one of your mighty men, David, the wife of Uriah, one of your mighty men, David. That's who that is. But David ignored all that, ignored who she was, forgot who he was, that he was called by God to be a righteous king and a righteous man, forgot who she was and her relationship with others, and forgot who God was, forgot that God is a righteous, just God. And he sent for her, and she came, and he lay with her. And it wasn't too long after that, and he was probably thinking, well, you know, I got away with that one, you know, nobody's saying anything, you know, they want to, you know, cross the king. And uh, she sends a note to him and says, I'm with child. (laughs) Gotcha, David. And then he starts the cover-up. He sends for Uriah, her husband, and brings him back and, and tries to, you know, butter him up. You know, hey, Uriah, how's it going out there in the war? And Uriah's got to be thinking, this is fishy. You know, what is going on here? And so uh, David tries to send him home. Uriah won't go home. Uriah spends the night sleeping in the doorway of the palace, there at David's palace. He does not go to see his wife. And so David, he's like, man, I've got I to gotta make it look like this is Uriah's kid, right? And so he, he brings Uriah back in, gets him drunk. You know, I don't know how exactly you do that. Do you, you spike the guy's drink or something? But uh, he gets Uriah drunk, tries to get him to go back again. Uriah won't go. This guy's righteous. And he says, the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling in a tent. The, the, the armies of Israel and Judah, they're, they're dwelling in tents. They're out in the field. Far be it from me that I would go back and visit my wife. And so David says, okay, go back to the, to the war. Here, I got a message for you to take back to your commanding officer. And in that message, David gives Uriah a death sentence. He tells Joab, put Uriah up at the front of the fiercest part of the fighting, and then everybody else pull back. And so it works out. David gets Uriah killed. And Bathsheba goes into mourning after that. And as soon as she's done mourning, David sends for her, marries her, brings her into the palace. And, he, and they have a little baby together. And he's got to be thinking, I covered it all up. It's all okay. Now, at this point, it's been about a year, give or take. You know, the baby's been born at this point. And for the last year, David has been faking it. He has not been right with God. He has not been able to be sincere with God. He will not confess this sin. He is faking it with the people. He's he's been covering this whole thing up. And here's the thing. Everybody knows. Word Word gets out on this sort of thing. Remember when he sent his servants to go and get Bathsheba? Everybody knows. But he's thinking that he's gotten away with it. And then God sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan comes up and he tells David this story. He says, there's two men who live in a town. One's rich, one's poor. And the rich man, oh, he's got lots of flocks, lots of sheep. And the poor man, he's only got one sheep. And it's his pet 
little lamb. And, and he brings this lamb in and, and it drinks from his cup, eats from his table, you know, it sleeps with him at night. You know, it's the, the apple of his eye, this one little lamb. And then the rich man has a visitor come. And does the rich man, in order to feed a meal to his visitor, take one of his many flocks, you know, a, a, a sheep or a lamb from one of his many flocks to, to provide a meal? Uh-uh. He goes to the poor man, takes his lamb, slaughters it, cooks it, and feeds it to his visitor. David hears this story from Nathan, and he is enraged. He says, that man shall surely die. And he'll restore fourfold. And that's what the law said, was that he was supposed to restore fourfold. David was going way beyond that. And Nathan said, David, you are the man. You took Uriah's wife from him. You stole her away and lay with her. And then you had Uriah killed. Now, at that moment, David had a choice. How is he going to respond? Because he's been confronted on his sin. And David said, I have sinned before God. And Nathan responded, and he said, well, he said, you will not surely die. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. And I'm thinking, what would have happened to David if he hadn't confessed right there? If he hadn't have been open, did God have other plans for him at that point? Good thing you confessed it there, David. And, and I look at that, and, and David's answer seems so quick. I have sinned against the Lord. And it just seems like, really? That's it? That, that, that's all that, that we get to see of this scene? No. David wrote a whole psalm about what was going on inside of his heart when he said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned in this matter. And it's Psalm 51. And this is what he says. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, well, that sounds a little bit better. There's a few more words in there, you know, and maybe we take them a little bit more seriously, right? You're serious about, about you know, being repentant and, and being grieved over your sin, David? It's still not enough for me in and of itself you know, if somebody has sinned like that, they, they've gotten somebody murdered. They've, they've caused a murder here, and they've, they've committed adultery, and they've lied about it for a year. And now all of a sudden, I mean, they come out, and it's like, have mercy on me, O God? Oh, yeah, I'll ask God for mercy. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Sure, he'll ask for that. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin but it's not a cheap, I'm sorry. See, David hasn't been willing to say these words for a whole year. He hasn't been willing to come to God. And now, this man's broken. As we're going to see as we go through the rest of this psalm. He's broken before God. 
Now, what does that term broken mean? Because we use that sometimes in Christian circles, don't we? And I think that apart from salvation, to be broken before God is the most important application for a Christian. Because to be broken means to deal with our pride. It means to get that out of the way and to be fully submitted before God. And to say, God, whatever you want. Truly to say, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. That's what it is to be broken. It's, it's like taking a wild horse, a stallion. Now, you know, it's a beautiful picture. You, you take this wild stallion, and it is, it's beautiful, and it is strong, and it is fast, and it is completely useless to a rider, isn't it? Until it is broken. And so you take that wild stallion, and you, it's got to go through that process of being brought under control to be a, a broken horse. Now, once that stallion's broken... Has it lost one iota of its strength? It has not. Has it lost one iota of its beauty? No, it still has all of that. But now it is actually useful to its master. Now it is actually able to partner with its master. And that's what God wants in a relationship with us, that, that we would be obedient to him that we would not be headstrong and want to go off in our own direction. <laughs> you remember when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, it's a picture of two oxen being yoked together. And, and, and usually when they would do that, they would have one older ox who was experienced, knew what was going on. And then you had a young ox who, you know, was headstrong and young. You know how we are when we're young and headstrong. And we, we think... I got the world by the tail. I know what I'm doing. And you got no clue what you're doing. And so they put the two together. And it's a picture of us being yoked with Jesus. Now, when we're saying, I know what I'm doing, and we try to pull off that way, how's it going to go for us? We're fighting every step of the way. We think we know the right way to go. But when we will submit, when we'll be broken... Oh, what God can do with us. Oh, what God can do and allow us to partner with him in when we're broken before him in that way. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, it says, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom, whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The stone is Christ. And if we fall on Christ, broken, submitted, saying, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. I submit to your lordship. You be Lord. He says that you're going to be broken, but there's going to be salvation there. But on whomever it falls, if we will fight against God every step of the way, then there's going to be a judgment. And that stone will grind that person to powder. Here, David is finally broken. Now, I have 15 points, and I know that that is a frightening thing for me to say at this point in the sermon, but we're going to go through them quickly. <laughs> um, and I know how much time I've got, so, all right, buckle up. Here we go. 
the first point is actually right there in verses 1 and 2. David asks for forgiveness. In order to be broken before God, this is the first thing we need to do. And God's going to use all kinds of different things in our lives to break us. It might be as a result of sin that we've committed against him. It might, like it is for David here, it, it might be circumstances in our life. Or maybe, and hold on to this, maybe you're that rare individual who will say, Yes, I will submit to you, God. I will surrender my life to you. Truly, I am going to trust you. I am going to walk with you. And you don't have to go through the breaking process. Billy Graham is the one who has said, I don't know why I've been so blessed all my life. You know, it's been said, before, a man, before God can use a man greatly, he must hurt him greatly. And, and Billy Graham stands you know, in opposition to that just by his life. He says he hasn't had to suffer greatly, and yet God has used him greatly. That is a life that is just submitted and broken before God. So, are we broken before the Lord? Are we submitted to him? And sometimes we think we are. We think, yeah, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll do it, you know. And then he says, well, go down this dark alley. And it's like, whoa, I didn't know that was what you're going to call me to. And so he'll, t- he'll step it up, you know, and, and, and he'll bring us to that place of greater trust in him and of greater reliance upon him and of greater brokenness before him. So number one, David here, he asks for forgiveness. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Here's number two, no excuses. When someone has sinned in a huge way, one of the things that just... It, it hurts my heart, is to hear them start saying, yeah, I did that, but. And everything that goes after the but is what they really mean. And they're not truly broken. And David's not doing that here. He's not making excuses for his behavior. He says, I acknowledge. And it's not just sin. He says, transgressions. This was something I did knowingly. I did willfully. And I acknowledge I did it. And so no excuses for his sin. And then, and my sin is always before me. He says, I can't get away from it. I'm always thinking about it. He is grieved over his sin. This is point number three. Point number one, he asks for forgiveness. Point number two, no excuses. Point number three, he's grieved over his sin. It is always before his eyes. Verse four. I told you we were going to cruise, yeah? Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David uses a little bit of hyperbole here. Was it truly against God and God alone that he had sinned? (laughs) Had he sinned against Uriah? You think? I mean, had the guy killed, right? Slept with his wife, Yeah, of course he did. He sinned against Uriah. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Murdered her husband. Did he sin against his other wives? Now that just gets weird because of the polygamy thing. But but yeah, he did. Uh, And so there were other people that he had wronged with this. But David's focus is on God. And he says... His focus is so much on God that he realizes 
you're the one I've hurt far more than anybody else. I've hurt your reputation. I've hurt, I've hurt your feelings. God is, is, is hurt when we sin. He, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And when somebody grieves over somebody else's actions, that means they care. They're invested. And that's the way God is with us. And so David recognizes his greatest concern is with the Lord. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And, and comparatively, that's where his focus is. And done this evil. So point number four, his greatest concern is with God. Point number five, done this evil. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, this is evil. This is wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And don't try, call it an affair, you know, call it something, you know, pretty it up. He doesn't do that. No, this is, this was evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This last section of verse 4, Paul actually quotes in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. And it's where he says, may all the world be found a liar, but God be found true. Um, what David is saying here is, Lord, when you speak and, and when you judge, may you be blameless and just. He says, I trust you to judge in this matter. I trust you to judge me. He's submitting to God's discipline. He says, Lord, whatever you want to do to me through this, I trust you. It's going to be what is good and right and just. Have you ever seen a pastor fall into sin and they'll confess it and they'll repent of it, but then when they're confronted with a board of elders or, you know, with a group that comes along and says, all right, we want to restore you. We are grateful that you are repentant about this and and we want to take you through a process of getting you back into ministry again. And then they say, you want me to do what? You want me to go through like a, a, a year of, of submitting myself? And, and they don't want to submit to that, that leadership, that authority over them. Here, David doesn't do that. He says, God, you're the authority over me in whatever you want to do. And there were consequences for his sin. And David doesn't fight it, not any step of the way. He submits to that, that discipline being brought against him. And so that is point six. He is submitted to God's discipline. Verse five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Here's point number seven. Uh, David is disgusted with his flesh. Now, theological considerations aside, I don't really want to get into all of that, you know, with this verse. And we could for a long time, so we won't. Uh, But... But he says, oh, man, I'm a sinner, and, and I am disgusted with myself. You know, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I end up doing. What a wretched man am I. And that's exactly where David's at. He's just like, ah, oh, I was conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity. My mother, you know, he's, just, he's going all the way back. Was it really, not blaming his mom for anything here. But what he's saying is, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. And so he is disgusted with his flesh. Verse 6, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. 
and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Here's point number eight. No more hypocrisy. You know what a hypocrite is, right? An actor. A person who acts like, oh yeah, everything's okay, or, or, or whatever on the outside. Or maybe they act real repentant on the outside. But on the inside, they're not really there. And David says, change me on the inside, Lord. I want to be right with you all the way through. You desire truth in the inward parts. No more whitewashed tombs with dead man's bones inside. Take out those bones, Lord. I want to be true to you in, in, uh, in all completeness of who I am. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now hyssop is that little leafy branch that they would take on the Passover and they would dip it in the Passover lamb's blood and they would use the hyssop to spread the blood on the doorposts. And then when, on the first Passover, when the, when the avenging angel came to kill the firstborn, he saw that blood on the doorposts and he passed over that house. And it's a picture of the innocent life being given on behalf of the guilty and judgment passing over. That's a picture of Christ. The innocent was, was offered as a sacrifice, and then the judgment passes over us. And so here is David saying, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. If God forgives, then I'll be clean. David says it. David knows it. If God forgives, I'll be reestablished. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. David says it. David knows it. I don't think David continues to remember it. I don't think David lives it out. And this one's tough, you guys. The guilt that comes when we blow it. The guilt that comes with sin. You know, let that conviction of the Holy Spirit have its work. Let us be convicted. Let us be brought low. Let us be grieved over our sin. And let us be reminded. That's nothing that, that we can brag about, you know, in the future. We need to remember that that was there. But... When God restores us, when God washes us, then we need to go forward in what he calls us to do again. You see, David struggled with this because he was the king. And when his sons fell into sin, David's son Amnon um, sleeping with his sister. And what did David do when that happened? Nothing. He didn't take any action. And I wonder if David wasn't thinking, yeah, but... I remember what I did with Bathsheba, and it was, it was maybe even worse, you know, well, in some ways. And so he didn't take any action, and he needed to. He needed to man up and do the right thing as, as a godly man, as a godly father, as a godly king. It was what God had called him to do. And he let the guilt keep him from doing what he was supposed to do. Guys, gals, Dear Christians, 
Don't let the enemy come and prod you with guilt ever again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and walk according to his spirit. And put away that condemnation that does not come from the Father. That doesn't come from the Spirit. It comes from the enemy. It comes from ourselves. And so we need to ignore that and say, all right, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm humble because of that, but I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And so point number nine, if God forgives, then we're clean and reestablished. Verse eight, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. How miserable was David during this year, man? I mean, he was hiding everything. But he says, you've broken bones, Lord. You know, this has been so hard. I've been so far away from you. And here's point number 10. I think that David is grateful to be broken. Thank you, God, that you called me on this, that you didn't let me keep going in my act, that you didn't let me keep going in my hypocrisy. And now, now that I'm broken, oh, it's so good to come back to you, God. So good to be right with you again. Have you ever been away from him for a while? And, and, and the enemy's getting after you. It's just like, oh, you can't go back to God. You, you think about what you did. God's not going to take you back. And then finally, we work our way through that. We come back to our Father, and he restores us, and he draws us near. And it's so good to be back with him. And that's where David is at at this point. Oh, make me hear joy and gladness, Lord. The bones you have broken, may they rejoice. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, I love verse 10. I love singing verse 10. But I think what David is saying here is, Lord, help me never to do this again. And that's point number 11. Help me to never do this again. Create in me a clean heart. Renew your steadfast spirit. Help me to be strong and steadfast for you, Lord. Verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Can a Christian lose the Holy Spirit? No. You can't. There's certain things that we can do in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We can grieve him. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve God. When he tells us to do something and we refuse to do it, we can quench the Holy Spirit. And both of those things are bad. But does God at that point say, oh, all right, I'm out of here? He never does. No, he has given us his spirit as an earnest and so it's like, okay, you get, you get a farmer, right? All right, an agricultural thing. Windsor's pretty agricultural. You got a farmer, and he's going to buy a tractor. And so he doesn't have all the cash for the tractor, but he's got 500 bucks in his pocket. And so he goes up to this guy who's selling the tractor, and he says, I'm serious about wanting to buy your tractor. And I don't have all the cash. I got to go back to the bank. But here's 500 bucks to let you know I'm in earnest about this. And then he goes back. And, and, and he gets the rest of the cash, and then he comes, comes back and he picks up the tractor. God says, I'm in earnest about you. 
and I want to give you a down payment. I want to give you an earnest payment that is the most serious one that I can give to you to let you know how serious I am about you. And God says, I'll give you myself. I want to live in your heart. I want to live in your life. That's the most that he can do to let us know he is in earnest in our relationship with him. And having given that earnest of the Holy Spirit to us now in New Testament times, will that ever be lost? No. We cannot, by sin, cause the Lord to cast us away from his presence, to take his Holy Spirit from us. He won't do that. So, point number 12 What David is asking here for is a restoration of the relationship. Don't cast me from your presence. I want to be in your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to be in communion with your Spirit. Restore the relationship that we once had. Verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Whose salvation? Not our salvation. It's a salvation that God gives to us. And so point number 13 is when we are broken before the Lord, we will have a fresh appreciation for salvation. Are we excited that we're saved? Thank you, God. Amen. I am so excited that I am saved. I was never able to do that on myself. I tried to do good works. Not even close, man. You know, may we be broken. May we stop trying to please God by doing good works because we'll never get there. May we surrender and say, all right, Lord, I'll stop trying to do it my way. I'll come, I'll come your way. You've made the way. It's a free way. It's a free gift. I accept what you've done. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 13 Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Here's point number 14. Brokenness creates a fresh appreciation of service to God. You see how David is, he's moving forward here. Now he wants to reach out to others. He wants to bless others and teach them and convert people to God He wants to work for good. He's moving beyond where he was and asking for forgiveness. Now, Lord, use me once again. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Here's point number 15. We made it. Brokenness creates in us a fresh appreciation for worship. How long had it been since David had been able to sing and and dance before God? This is David. This is the guy who was out there in his skivvies dancing before the ark as it was brought into Jerusalem, you know? And, and, and when his wife, Michal, came out there and was just like, oh, look at you, he was like, I will be even more undignified than this. Nothing's going to stop me from worshiping my God. And he hadn't been able to worship the Lord because of this sin that he had been holding on to and hiding. And now that he's put it away, ah, he's back. And he's got this fresh appreciation being able to worship 
God. You know, it says, Jesus said that a person who has been forgiven much loves much. Have you ever heard that verse and go, you know, I got saved when I was three years old. You know, I've never really messed up that much. Does that mean I don't love God as much as, as somebody else? Here's the thing. We've all been forgiven much. The sin of every single one of us was enough to send Jesus to that cross. And, and God doesn't begrudge it for one moment. But that was the sacrifice necessary for our sin. He loves us that much. We've been forgiven, every single one of us, for much. And so may we realize that. And may that make us respond and say, I love you, God. I want to worship you, God. Verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. In the Old Testament times, in David's time, they would bring sacrifices, bring animals into the temple, and that animal would become barbecue. And, uh, and there were different kinds of sacrifices. There was sin offering uh, to be a payment for sin. There was a burnt offering. The burnt offering was symbolic of, uh, I'm going to give this animal and the whole thing is going to be consumed there on the, on the altar, on the barbecue. And not a bit of it is going to be taken off in order to be eaten. And so what it's saying is, Lord, I'm giving you all of me. I'm not holding anything back. I am devoted to you. And so here he's saying, this, you don't desire this. You don't desire someone to come and to give a sacrifice. You don't delight even in these burnt offerings. Not if a person is trying to do these things in order to buy their way back into a relationship with God. Ever try to do that? You know, I got to be good. I got to make up. God's mad at me. I messed up, so he's pretty steamed. And so I, I got to be really good for a little while, and then maybe I can, you know, come crawling back. Look, you can't be any better in his eyes than you are already if you've accepted Jesus. His righteousness has been put on every single one of us as believers. And God says, when you've sinned, confess it. Confess it. It's already been paid for. But don't let that come between you and me in our relationship anymore. And may we not try to buy our way back. And it says, that's, that, that's not what you desire, that we should try to make up for what we did. <laughs> you don't desire that. The sacrifices of God, verse 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. God loves to use broken things. Remember when Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, what did he do with those loaves of bread? He had to break them in order for them to be used. Remember when Gideon... Uh, and his 300 guys went up against the Midianites and they had surrounded the Midianites at night and, and all of his 300 guys had torches, but the torches being lit were inside of clay pitchers. Those clay pitchers, those clay vessels had to be broken for God's light to shine out into the world. That's a picture. And you remember when Mary came up to Jesus and she had that oil 
that, uh, of spikenard, that, that, that flask of oil. What did she do with it? She broke it. She didn't just open it up, take out the stopper and pour it out. No, she said, there's no turning back. I'm all in. I'm breaking it. God loves to use broken things. God loves to use broken lives. Because when we're broken, we'll no longer be headstrong and saying, I know what to do here. Here, Lord, I got this one. I know how to handle this. No, a broken person is going to be dependent upon God and say, I need your help. Lord, what do you want to do? I won't, I won't go into this situation without you every step of the way. That's what he desires. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so now here is David. He's gone through all of these 15 steps. And now what he's saying in the last two verses is, God, I want to be your man again. I want to be used by you again. And so now, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. God's not done with David. God's still going to use David to lead his people and to be a blessing to his people. And sometimes we can think we've blown it, we've sinned, we can't be used again. It's not true. Maybe there's consequences for our sin, and they're heavy. Yeah, that's true. But God still is not done with us. And if we will be broken and submitted, he wants to do greater things yet through us. Verse 19. Then, then, once this is restored, once you're doing your good pleasure in Zion, oh, then, Lord, you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Now, once there's a restoration that's taken place, not trying to buy our way back into a relationship with God, but having accepted his forgiveness, now we can worship again. Now we can come and we can enjoy those fellowship offerings. That's the other kind of offering. I love the fellowship offering more than any. Because that was the offering that came and, and an animal would be would sacrificed and barbecued and a portion of it would go to the priests and a portion of it, the biggest portion, would go to the people and a portion of it would go to God. And when they would all partake of that, it was symbolic of God and the people all partaking of that same sacrifice and in some mystical way becoming one together, fellowshipping together, that fellowship offering or a peace offering, sometimes it's called. Once we accept what God has done, then the way is open for that. May we be broken people. May we be a people who say, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Oh, and may we be a people who God doesn't need to bring the breaking. He's faithful to do it because he knows that the results are far better than anything else. Don't despise when he breaks. Don't despise the things that he uses that are hard, those fiery trials. But may we let those drive us to our knees and drive us back into the arms of our Lord 
who loves us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, Lord, here we are. And people from all different backgrounds, from all different situations in their life right now. Father, I want to pray for them. Lord, I pray that whatever situation everyone here is in, Father, that you would minister to them tonight. Maybe some of us are broken. Some of us have been through the ringer, Lord. May we come back to you. May we cast our cares on you. Lord, I pray for those who have been through the ringer. Lord, I pray that you would be the lifter of their heads. Father, I pray that you would comfort them. Father, for those who are still in that place of hypocrisy, is still in that place of hiding from you and saying that it's all okay, but it's all on the outside. On the inside, it's not true. Oh, Father, bring them to you tonight. You love them. You will receive them. You want them. Today is the day. Today is the day to get right and to come back into a right relationship with God, whether it's been a day or a year or a lifetime. Today is the day of salvation. Father, I pray that you would just right now, by your Holy Spirit, come and minister. May we be a people who seek your face and draw near to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.